From the moment I began my descent down the hill, I started to realize how many critical decisions from the last decade and meaningful moments from even just the last year had cultivated the certainty to leave. As I traipsed through the trees, I pondered all those moments and choices, like bright stars suddenly clear against a black sky. This sudden decision to pursue a nomadic, exploratory existence was simply the act of connecting the dots and naming this newly discovered constellation. Though it felt like a plot twist in the moment, it was already written above. We don't know which moments will matter most later on, and they very likely won't be the same ones that matter now. As our self-awareness continues to develop, we can look back on our life and recreate and identify storylines that we didn't know were there. Which stories are you still telling? Which ones are yet to be told? For example, until a couple years ago, I had never heard of attachment theory as it applies to relationships. The first chapter of Attached described virtually everything that previously hadn't made sense to me about why my relationships didn't feel safe. After finishing the book, I was able to go back through the list of supposedly failed relationships and better understand the now meaningful significance of previously puzzling interactions. I was able to take past rejections less personally. With this framework, I was now more grateful for the bygone romance and able to better connect with new people. I then also had the opportunity to confront how I had been unintentionally callous with hearts that genuinely cared. Over time, my unarticulated anger simmered on the back burner of my consciousness until it was barely warm to the touch. Now, after reading this one book, I had lifted the lid with curiosity, inhaled the aroma of understanding, and in turn had inspired a deeper gratitude and acceptance. My appetite for growth was cultivated. One book changed my story about every relationship, not completely, but from one theoretical perspective. And that's how I would describe self-awareness, the practice of perceiving yourself from as many perspectives as possible, like holding a shimmering faceted diamond up to the light and seeing how its characteristics depend purely upon our own capacity to perceive and value them. The better we can see ourselves, the more beautiful we are. So, looking back, I started to see the constellation of moments and choices that led me here, the events and circumstances validated by choosing to depart. There are so many, but I have chosen to explore five themes here, that you may better understand my origins and perspectives as we continue with the story of my departure. Number one, increasingly nonconformist life path. At least since I was 19, I never really wanted to have children. Lifelong monogamy didn't resonate, and as a result, marriage was an equally uninteresting aspiration. I had never felt like buying a house. I'm bored by the intentionally bland, materialistic, and sterile suburbs. We don't need that much space. We just don't need that many things. I was allergic to the idea of a stable salary, not enough risk for me to get out of bed. I ignored laws and rules that I find unconvincing because laws should be convincing. The term dress code started carrying less weight, and I led the charge to abolish ties and then suits from commercial real estate. I have a lengthening history of shirking the shackles of societal expectations, perhaps to a fault. Anything that is defended as the right way to live because that's just how it is, or most people do it that way, is subject to suspicion on both the levels of personal choice and social commentary. Some might say I have a problem with authority or normalcy. 
but I view it as a healthy exploratory skepticism of fear-based social pressures and the quiet demands that are made upon us for a conformist mediocrity. It is not right-wing or left-wing. This is the process of unlearning and re-examining. The goal, of course, is to honor the wisdom that is baked into the mainstream culture while also seeing where our social discourse falls flat, where the truth gets twisted, and how misguided assumptions derail the resulting policy. I'm on an ongoing, imperfect journey to raise my standards of curiosity and celebrate those who choose to do the same. What parts of me were created by society and which parts of me have been suppressed by the same society? The goal is to toss the bathwater and save the babies, but not my babies. I don't want any kids. Did I mention that? Number two, transience, loneliness, and novelty. I have always been somewhat transient. In the first 26 years of my life, I had technically moved something like 18 times, mostly with my family. Some places I don't actually remember. I was too young. Some transitions were only across the street or around the corner and some destinations were repeats or temporary. But a couple accounted for thousands of miles on the odometer of an expertly packed U-Haul truck, and all of them changed my relationship with the ideas of home, stability, and routine. I got used to awkward introductions to other kids on the block, each with their own insecurities, suspicions, and judgments. Our family always had a few unpacked boxes in spare rooms. Either because of relocation or because of the natural end of one school and the beginning of another, I never completed more than two full grades at any one school. At various times, I was in public school, private school, and for a short and turbulent semester, homeschooled. I'm not sure where my mom found the courage to teach geography, math, and physics to two rebellious preteens, but when we moved to Colorado Springs in 2000, she gave it her best effort for a single semester. My sister and I collectively agreed to make it difficult enough on her that our parents would send us back to normal school, where making friends felt like at least a feeble feasibility. The new location as a sixth grader was isolating enough and homeschool made it unbearable. Through this transience, I became aware of massive ranges in human experience. I was constantly exploring and assimilating to different groups and settings. I spent time with stoners, nerds, dropouts, drama geeks, jocks, homeschoolers, churchgoers, and thieves. I was throwing rocks at passing trains, hanging off monkey bars in playgrounds, fumbling around basement jam spaces, losing on sports fields and in arenas, playing on bar stages, and arguing in principal's offices. Every game was played by different rules, and I learned how to navigate which ones mattered and dispense the ones that didn't. I felt like a lonely, emotional con artist, constantly angling for brief belonging. My skill set around girls and friends was to rapidly build a limited connection sufficient to acknowledge attraction and then avoid depth or regularity of connection. It wasn't intentional, of course. I was just floundering in my own incapacity to trust or depend on others while desperately wanting to fabricate intimacy. In my early 20s, now calling Calgary home, I would pack my social schedule so full, massively overcommitting, sometimes attending three parties on a Friday night just to scavenge for exciting and novel connections. Many eggs, many baskets. Number three, growth, friends, and stability. I didn't know how lonely I was until a few years later 
when I wanted to tell someone that I was lonely and I was shocked to realize that I was only remotely comfortable opening to one person and ironically, it was someone that I didn't know all that well. I called him from the car at seven o'clock on a dark wintry Wednesday in November of 2017. I had been driving aimlessly for a couple hours and living aimlessly for a couple years. Matt? Hey man, he said, how are you? Good dude. I faltered. Actually not good at all. My voice was shaky and tears clouded my eyes while I drove. I glanced enviously at the windshield wipers. Could we meet up? I need someone to talk to. I choked out every word. It felt like a violation of the emotional safety that I had been trying to maintain. Tonight? Yeah, okay, of course. Where should we meet? There was a hole-in-the-wall cocktail bar, Milk Tiger, that was often quiet. All right, my man, he said. I'll see you there in an hour. Goodbye. He always said goodbye like a celebration at the end of a satisfying conversation, like a DJ signing off. I immediately felt guilty, dragging him into my own darkness, and I wondered what plans he had missed out on to meet me instead. While we had known each other for a few years, we actually didn't know each other all that well. I just liked him, we got along, and he was inspirational in a way that he carried himself with confidence. We'd had a few good conversations, and he always seemed to be open to hearing my thoughts. Moreover, he made life look fun, and to me life felt hard. So I just wanted to understand how he viewed the world. Matt showed up powerfully that night, mostly just asking questions and listening. It was the first of many, many conversations where we could each support each other. That night, we raised the standard for how both of us would show up to each other. And the friendship became increasingly deep, meaningful, and stable. Over the next four years, I would spend the majority of my time with a smaller group of friends. The durability of those close-knit relationships has provided fertile grounds for the massive strides in self-awareness, confidence, and empathy that I now embody. Intentional connection is healing. Sure, the fun times come easy with great friends, but equally as important is how we all challenge ourselves and each other to grow. We bring up our struggles and insecurities, and we are all brave enough to call each other out with love and to receive the concern with gratitude rather than defensiveness. We skip the small talk and seek to lift each other up. My friends attract and are attracted to a growing community of like-minded, passionate, and curious individuals that want to live authentically. I can't wait to introduce them to you soon. During the same period of deepening emotional attachments, I moved less and unpacked more boxes. I increasingly gravitated to growth rather than flings to get my fix of novelty. I was always still getting to know my best friends. There was always more to learn, more to change, more to explore. They accepted me deeply and I didn't hunt for belonging. But at my core, like my dad and his dad, I have never been able to shake a restlessness. Traveling has functioned as an appeasement. I could justify living in Calgary as long as I could travel relentlessly. In 2018 and 2019, I went on nearly a trip a month. Sure, the boxes were all unpacked at home, but the suitcase usually was. I can clearly see that I am attracted to discovery, novelty, and adventure rather than routine and stability in even my closest relationships and most resonant activities. The childhood transience and subsequent stability, it felt like a setback but it now feels like it equipped me with a set of skills to navigate risk, build connection, and thrive in chaos. I have strong wings that I had kept folded. Number four, 
Loss, Change, and Opportunity. This past spring, following a brief exploration of polyamory, I went through a brutal breakup. The entire story of the relationship deserves its own movie script, but suffice it to say, the first and second acts were extremely captivating to our hearts and yet a heavy burden for them to carry. The third act, culminating in the breakup this past spring, was a spectacular slow-motion plane crash, unearthing some of the most deep-seated and painful insecurities that we each had yet to deal with. For weeks after the breakup, which coincided with some major setbacks at work, I could bring myself to do nothing other than walk streets and river paths, stoned, stunned, and reflective. And I wrote obsessively, all day, most days. Nearly all calls went to voicemail until I could muster the strength to connect with someone for any reason. I was in a low, but this time, more than ever before, I was committed to exploring that low. I stewed in my own misery, stirring occasionally, boiling away my demons. I wanted to see all the darkest fears and storylines that I was being controlled by, confront them with curiosity, and release them in exchange for more empowering stories. The only acceptable approach to finding my way back to being okay? Brutal, sustained, intentional reflection on my own fears, insecurities, wounds, and limiting beliefs. I tried hard to be gentle on myself, but I was persistent. One week this summer, in a concerted effort to accelerate an urgent and necessary breakthrough so that I didn't fuck up my best friend's wedding due to my own emotional limitations, weddings always seem to bring that out in people, I met with three different therapists, a mentor, and a life coach, plus embarked on a short but profound psychedelic trip. I dragged several friends through difficult conversations, and each of them chose to support me. A couple weeks later, I was able to articulate and release the belief that I was unloved and unwanted, that my friends would abandon me, and that I needed to do things in order to be accepted by others or at peace with myself. I had been carrying these around for so long that I hadn't even questioned them. I am so grateful for that experience. The equal weight of the lessons and the pain balanced the scales, a fair exchange. Confronting triggers taught me so much about forgiveness of self and others, self-soothing, and about how to reframe pain. The August wedding was a celebration of love, but also for me it was a celebration of my ability to create substantial and rapid personal growth so that I could show up to that experience full of love. I picked up the phone and called my dad. We hadn't had a real conversation in a decade. That was my own heavily defended boundary, not his. And reconnecting with him felt like the boss level in a video game of forgiveness and healing. After all, I was on a roll. To my surprise, we immediately began having deep and vulnerable conversations and began to get to know each other again. This time, as humans, having human experiences. I loved him and he loved me. And nothing and everything was perfect about that. Peace. As the late summer days glowed into embers, I felt powerful and yet completely at the mercy of life's natural flow. I thought back to six months earlier when I had been dragging my sulking feet along icy paths, and I celebrated the effort I had made to explore the deepest lows and ecstatic highs, intentionally, purposefully, slowly. Every July, Calgary goes on a 10-day bender called the Calgary Stampede, which is absolutely not regarded as the greatest outdoor show on earth by anyone who has spent a good deal of time outdoors or at shows. I had coped with Stampede by joining a country band as a bassist, 
buying a bass to join the band. And over the last five years, we'd become a staple of country bars and increasingly larger venues. This latest stampede had been a little lackluster for us all. In early September, the lead singer told me that he might be looking for a more appropriate bassist. I nodded. I knew that I wasn't a real country bassist, and everybody else knew it too. I was there for the party and the shows, not for the songs or the career. I always knew my time would come. Greg felt guilty, and yet I was deeply accepting of it almost immediately. By then, due to some of the most profound lessons I had learned this summer, I had truly embraced that all change and loss can be viewed as opportunity and that I could work through any difficult attachment or emotion if I made it my goal. I couldn't lose because loss was an invitation to growth. Finally, along this theme, I had been building two simultaneous and very different romantic relationships from last summer until the spring breakup. Suddenly, I was now going through a breakup in one relationship while still trying to build in the other. My pain and subsequent growth over the summer caused the surviving relationship to evolve as well. For the past three years, Britt and I had shared a passionate, playful chemistry. We liked the same songs, the same food, adventures, and aesthetics. We also consciously and unconsciously had pushed each other to increase self-awareness and unpack our baggage. Unintentional and mutual trauma bonding, sure, but with the added capability of a mutual desire to work through that baggage together and separately. Our closest relationships will always expose our deepest insecurities. But curiosity and communication go a long way to giving that relationship a chance to be part of the healing. It was very confusing and raw just learning how to heal alongside each other, and we both truly did our best. We were motivated by moments throughout our relationship where the highest versions of ourselves would open enthusiastically to each other and, for a period of time, we would feel the safest and most intimate connection that we had both ever experienced. This summer, we were both making more time for our own growth and spending more time apart. For the month of September, we had agreed to further limit the amount of time we would spend together, two dates, and otherwise live separate lives. No phone calls, no texting. Neither of us felt warm and fuzzy about the extra space, but I knew that we both urgently needed to turn inward, explore our own identities, and establish a healthier individuality. By the end of September, I liked where my headspace was taking me, I liked seeing her own evolution, and we were now having meaningful and vulnerable conversations more consistently again. Higher highs and less low lows, an encouraging trajectory. It was a bit of a paradox, however. Does this trend mean that we should stay on this path of individuality? Or do we now return to including each other closer to the foundations of our calendars? In the weeks prior to deciding to leave, I was listening to myself for any answers. Number five, anticipating death. Most viscerally, five days before I decided to leave, I had this intense feeling of confronting death I was at a yacht party, no big deal, in Vancouver, and out of nowhere, late in the evening, I felt like I was going to die. Not in a panicky way, and not like I would die in that exact moment, but just an awareness that some way, somehow, I would soon die. Intuition. In that moment, I just noticed it, acknowledged it, and then moved on. For the next few days, I puzzled over what that had meant, where it had come from. Now, as I walked Nose Hill with this new sense of clarity, I laughed, shaking my head with a knowing grin. 
This was the death, right here. I had just let go of this version of myself, become unattached to this life. Death would, however, be followed by an immediate reincarnation with undefined and unrefined potential, and an exponential increase in intuition, vulnerability, and release. Exciting. I welcomed the unknown this time because I had reincarnated seven years earlier in a similar fashion. During a relatively short period of time, in 2013 and 2014, I had put everything I owned in storage, quit my job, or got fired, depending on who you ask. What I know for sure is that I should no longer work there was the only thing that my boss and I ever agreed upon. I ended a relationship, slowly, and in a spirited, adoring mess. And I even abandoned my 1992 Nissan Sentra that had been hit by a bus before I owned it and wouldn't start in the rain. I just left it on the side of the road. I don't even know what happened to it. The process had been fuzzy, but the purpose was always clear. I chose to only invite things back into my life that I was deeply certain and passionate about. Work that I loved, hobbies I enjoyed, a place of my own that felt like home, a car that I was excited to drive. These choices were made from within constraints of a very limited budget, but the element of choosing it was invaluable. Interestingly, during this period of time, I probably worked harder than I had worked before and maybe have worked since. Every day I'd wake up and I'd have to figure out what happens next, and that is hard work. For a period of time, I was living on a farm where I had to take care of horses and chickens and cats in the morning, then go inside and get dressed and put on a suit and go downtown and work at a commercial real estate job, come back, put on the overalls, go back out, bring in the horses, check on the chickens, feed the cats, make myself dinner, and by 9 p.m. it was ready for bed, and I'd have to wake up the next day and do it all over again. But I gotta be honest, that didn't feel exhausting, it felt energizing, because I was choosing these things. Yes, I didn't choose to live on a farm in the sense that that was my goal, but when that opportunity came around, I was actually excited to be a part of that. I was full in on embracing the experience, even with all of the struggle, because I knew that by showing up that passionately and also that intentionally, this is what would get me to where I wanted to go. In the years that followed, when I doubted whether I was on the right path, I could look back at the time when I had chosen that path and validate whether those choices still resonated. For the past seven years, I knew that I was responsible for creating the life that I wanted, that I had, and I was proud of what I was doing. So now, when the existing life started to acquire an odor of being simply the result of pre-existing momentum, rather than a continual and purposeful choice, I was less afraid to repeat this cycle of chrysalis. But this time, I would raise the stakes. I would change cities and countries and ways of life. And I was unafraid to break some rules along the way. And this time, I would be as intentional and ruthless about it as possible. Nothing would be off limits. I would own virtually nothing. I would simply open myself up to the opportunities that are abundant and abundantly ignored in everyday life. I would expose myself to the deepest realities I could access and perceive. I would write what resonated, speak in ways that would invite deep connections with others. Beyond that, I projected nothing because I didn't have time to get excited about what would become. I needed to focus on today. The constellation was clear in my sky, but I didn't have any more time for gawking at how the stars had aligned. 
For now, I needed to focus on executing a myriad of tasks required to untangle myself from a fulfilling life lived at top speed. I only had seven weeks until November 30th. If I was going to leave, I needed to be confident that I was making the right choice because I wouldn't have time to debate it again. Hesitance and indecision would erode my ambition. Doubts would rust the propellers of my dreams before it even took flight. Now that I had decided I would leave, I needed to put all my energy into grappling simultaneously with the endless logistics while bidding goodbye to everyone I knew and loved. I had family, friends, a girlfriend, a condo, a car, a job, possessions, monthly subscriptions, treasured clients, and unfinished conversations. I didn't have much time or much of a plan. I didn't even have a valid passport. It was going to be a short, difficult road just to get on the road. First, I needed to start by telling my closest people, and I decided to record each conversation.